You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Good, good, good. Wasn't that great music? Are y'all awake? I'm going to call them back out. That was so good, so good, so good. Thank you, choir and orchestra and all of y'all that play instruments, Kirkwood. Uh, In fact, here, just if you've got your Bibles, you're open to Romans, right? You're there at Romans chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to preach verse 8, 9, and 10 this morning. Look at what he begins for this for next Sunday, as I believe this is what I'm going to preach next Sunday. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than we had believed. And he goes into, well, I'll preach it next Sunday. So, good. Let me remind you of a couple of things. One, for next Sunday, June Hunt will be here. Uh, June Hunt is Hope for the Heart. Uh, it's a radio program that is on across the nation and really places around the world. Uh, she also has a thing that she does called Hope in the Night. Uh, she does it around 11, midnight at night. People call in, and uh, she gives them hope from the Word of God. Uh, marvelous Christian lady, just... Um, a magnificent uh, Bible scholar. We're going to have a lunch here. The lunch is on the church. You sign up for it. How to relate to your teenagers through children and teenagers through boundaries. And she's going to do a second part on uh, depression, anxiety, stress. Uh, all of us deal with that from time to time, but we all know people who really deal with it. And um, it's a great, it'll be a great opportunity for you this time of year to be a part of uh, uh, that afternoon. And then tonight, let me mention that tonight we come back, we have the budget vote. Tonight we'll gather, you get to hear all about the business of the church, and then make yourself um, a reservation for the Christmas party on Wednesday night. I don't remember which Wednesday night, but just uh, be sure you do that. That's so much fun every year. Now, Last week, we looked at mean people out of um, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17 through the end of the chapter. Uh, Mean people, how do we handle them? What do we as Christians do when we come across those people uh, that seek to do evil to us? So we looked at that, and now, if you notice, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, open to Romans chapter 13. Paul's going to give you a section on the government. And let me tell you why. I'm not going to deal with that. I'll probably uh, deal with that another time. But let me, let me just talk to you about that for a second and show you the reasoning that Paul is using. He's coming down through all of this. I've told you that verse 1 and verse 2, really verse 2, and the word transformed is the major verb in all of chapter 12, chapter 13, 14, 15, and into 16. Now, uh, in that, he's talking about what is our life to look like as Christians. We've been transformed by the grace of God. So how do we, and then he comes to the government, and he comes to that right after he talks about mean people. And let me tell you why. Because the government's full of mean people. No, um, Um, Y'all don't make me lose my place. Um, Here's the thing. Uh, Let me give you, you, if you were a bunch of preachers and I was teaching you preaching, I would tell you this. Never take a text into an application 
when it is screaming, I don't want to go there. Um, don't take the text on mean people to mean that I cannot defend myself if somebody is attacking me physically. Can I, can, does God expect me to do? Well, sure, you, you can protect yourself. Uh, that's not what it is referring to there. Uh, if somebody is assaulting me, uh, yes. He's talking about the fact that we have civil law and criminal law to protect us from those who go to that extreme in what they're doing to us. God has set up government for our good to keep the peace, uh, to have a reasonable way that we can deal with people who criminally mistreat us or who civilly do something to us where we need a court to make a ruling on it. We need laws. And then God says here, Paul says here, God gave the government the sword for a reason. It does not mean, don't drag this to also mean that nations should not go to war. Now, nobody wants to go to war, uh, but there are times when a nation has to go to war. And uh, this is not referring to that. Again, God gives the sword to the government uh, for a reason, for a purpose. Uh, for example, uh, when Hamas came out and just brutally slaughtered and killed around 1,200 Israelis, Israel had no choice. It, it, it is almost a command of God. A government is to protect its people, not to fleece them. I just threw that in, okay? But to protect them to watch over them. They bear the sword for that purpose. And so what is going on now? Are there innocents being killed? Absolutely, happens in every war. Didn't just start happening when Israel uh, went after Hamas. We do pray for and we do care for the innocent people. Look at World War II, the innocent people that were killed in that war. Well, several million, by the way. Um, but uh, a tyrant had to be put down. Mussolini had to be put down. Hitler had to be put down. And so, as much as it is regrettable, there is a just war, according to St. Augustine. And uh, a nation has the responsibility to do that. So, that's why he moves into that whole section. God has established government if you need civil law, if you need criminal law. But then he moves out of that, and I don't, you know, you have to preach some things that you don't always care about, and right here, it is one, uh, he does that uh, here because he says in verse 6 of chapter 13, for because of this, because they, the government is there, it's a minister to God, to you for good, that's what it's intended to be, and because of this, you pay taxes. Now, I wish that wasn't in the Bible, but it is. So I, I have to do what it tells me there. For rulers are, rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves uh, to this very thing. So he says, render to all what is due him. Now watch it how he moves from that. You owe taxes, pay your taxes. Then you owe other things. You owe honor to whom honor is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due. Then he comes in verse 8 and he's going to say, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Now watch this in verse 8, 9, and 10. 
uh, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And he comes in verse nine, for you shall not commit adultery, nor murder, nor steal, nor covet. And if there's any commandment, it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. What do you think he's going to talk about in in chapter 13, verse eight, nine, and 10? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Now that's what we're going to deal with. And I want to show you just briefly, let me show you the background of the society in which Paul is writing. Um, Especially, let me don't, I don't want to look at Rome. Let me look at Israel and what's going on because it was fractured. It was splintered. They all revolved around the one Jewish religion uh, and and the idea that um, uh, here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That one major idea, God is God, there is no other, he is one. Well, uh, they were fractured, however, as a nation. And you had multiple groups. We are fractured today as a nation. Now, I'm not going to spend time on talking about the rudeness of our day, the crudeness of our day, the immorality of our day. That was the day they lived in. And especially even in the Roman Empire, it was as um, cruel a government as could possibly reign. Uh, People were cruel. People were uh, harsh. It was hard. Now, listen to, to... Paul, as he says this, against this background, there were five different groups. Let me give you quickly among, these are the most popular, well-known groups. There were the Essenes. Now they just left society. When the Romans came in, the Essenes, if you've been to Israel with me, I take every group down to Qumran because of how important it is. And I can't talk about that right now, but it is extremely important for a number of reasons. The Old Testament that you hold Uh, is uh, proof to the fact that it was very important. Uh, They gave to us the Dead Sea Scrolls. So they they kept them, they copied them, uh, they stored them when the Romans attacked the Essenes uh, out there in the wilderness, Uh, but they wanted to get away. They wanted to do what the monks did in uh, the Middle Ages, and that is, we're going to go out here in the middle of nowhere and live a very austere life. That that was, the, that was the Essenes. That's how they handled the Roman government. That's how they handled the Roman. We'll just move out. Now, what does Jesus say? Jesus, in his prayer in John chapter 17, prays, Lord, don't take them out of this world. Jesus said, leave them in this world because we're to be salt and light to this, to this age that you and I live in. Well, the next group would be those of the zealots. Now, the zealots were trained assassins. Uh, They would be like Hamas of today, but they were Jews. They would be like um, uh, Hezbollah today, yet they were Jews. And they had taken a vow that they would kill these Romans in any way they could. They wanted the nation to be rid of them. Their their, uh, response to it was not to run away, but to infiltrate around and and, and assassinate them. Now, that was what they would do. So, now, that's, a, that's an extreme. The Essenes are an extreme. I'd kind of call murdering people an extreme, too. So, uh, you know, you've got these two extremes in response to the Romans. Uh, you come down to the Pharisees. The Pharisees just absolutely paid them no attention. Uh, would not talk to them, would not engage with them. Uh, this was a lay group of about 6,000, never more than 6,000, but they had clout. The people 
um, admired them, even though they hated them. They looked up to them, even though they despised them. Uh, They kept the 613 subdivisions of the oral law that grew up around the written law. They were sticklers on the law. They were extremely fundamental, extremely fundamental. They held to the law, but it was all up here. None of this ever got to here. Never got to here. It did to Nicodemus. It did to Joseph of Arimathea. Both were uh, Pharisees. They were also both uh, members of the uh, Sanhedrin. I'm going to come to that in just a second. So you've got that. Then you've got another group called the Herodians. They got along with the Romans because they just decided, what else can you do? So they became Herodians. They supported Herod who had been put in place by the Romans, and they, their political party became known as the Herodians, and they supported Herod because Herod had the favor of Rome, and you've got to get along to go along, you know, kind of idea. Then you had the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, well-educated, were the liberal. They were the Harvard professors of that day. Um, that um, whatever you want to believe, okay, you can be a part of us. If you want to uh, believe that there is no resurrection, come on and join us. We'll throw the resurrection out. Doesn't matter. No resurrection of the dead whatsoever. You don't want to believe in angels and spirits, then throw it out. You don't have to believe in that stuff to be a part of us. What else do you not want to believe in? You don't want to believe in um, some of the other things they didn't believe in. Um, uh, They didn't believe in angels, You don't want to believe in angels? Just throw it out. That's basically liberalism. If it's in this book and you don't want to believe it, then throw it out. Get rid of it. Don't worry with it. You can still be a part of us. And so the Sadducees were basically that. They were a political party. They were the rulers. They ran the nation, uh, not only religiously, but also um, uh, as far as uh, civil life went, they would run that. They could always run things past the Roman government. Can we do this? Do we have that power? Those kind of things. So you, you're splintered. All these ways you're splintered up. You're fractured in all these ways. And so here comes Paul in the midst of that, and he says to the people of God, you are to love your neighbor. Now love, listen, Love, those who have been transformed by the grace of God will love others without measure. Now, that's exactly what he's saying right here. And you're backing up and saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean without measure? Well, I'm just going to go through these verses, and I want you to look at this. We've been transformed by the grace of God, so we're certainly not to be mean although from time to time we are, let's, let's just admit it, uh, but we are not to be that way. We are to be known by love. The identifying mark of those who have been transformed by grace is that we love. Now, are y'all okay? Are y'all, I know that's a lot of stuff to go through. Are you with me? You all right? Do I need to go back and do it again? Okay, all right. So let me give you a couple of things. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. Number one, the transformed extends itself or they extend themselves in love. That's why he comes and he says, now I just have to tell you, I heard my mama quote this verse no less than 10 million times. Um, She would say it to me over and over. She'd just say it to everybody in the house 
owe nothing to anyone. Now, let me just stop right there because I want to tell you, my mother was exegetically wrong at this point. <laughs> She's in heaven, so now she, she hears me and it doesn't upset her. Um, but she, she knows now that she was wrong on this. Uh, it does not apply to debt. Now, I know we all want to say, well, this is debt. And we've used this passage to speak to that. Well, it does talk about owing people. Uh, but this primarily is not talking about the fact that you cannot borrow money. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's about. Can you borrow money? That's, this is not going to be a sermon on money. We'll deal with that another time. But I'm just telling you, this is not the primary intention of those few words in this verse. Owe nothing to anyone. That's a great way to live. Um, I, I know I have had uh, people not in this church. It's never happened in the five and a half years that I've been here. But in every other church I've pastored, I've had at some point somebody come to my office and, uh, who was not a member of the church and say, uh, I need your help, okay? How can I help you? Uh, you've got so-and-so in the church. I know that they hold a position in your church. They're part of the leadership. And they've owed me an extensive amount of money for the last two or three years. And now I can't even, they won't even answer my phone call. Um, I can't even get a hold of them to talk to them. Uh, is there anything you can do? Now, I want to tell you something. People out there in the world begin to think that's all of us, that we all do that. And I'm telling you, you sit there and you think it about preachers. Because a lot of the preachers that I've known in life are cheapskates. They let you pay for everything. Every time you go out to a meal, they let you pay for it. Every time you do something with him, they, you know, you feel like, well, I've got to pay that for him. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. Uh, when I came here, I owed no debt. I owe no debt now. I remember very distinctly as a child, my dad coming home from deacon meeting, talking about, I overheard him talking to mom saying, we've got to bail the preacher out again. He's gotten himself into debt and uh, they're calling us, wanting us to get him out of the debt, to pay the debt that he owes. Now, I want to tell you something. That is a horrible witness. Horrible witness. If you owe somebody something, go pay them. And if you can't pay it all off, go pay them something on it, at least. Now, I'm not going to preach on this, but I want to tell you the best thing I can say to all of you, and especially young couples, get out of debt. Seven out of every six people who own a credit card owe so much on that credit card that if they emptied their savings, they could not get out of credit card debt. And credit cards, I read the other day, there's a credit card that's charging 33%. That's usury. That's sin before God, by the way. Uh, God's Word does talk to us about usury. It does not tell you you cannot borrow money. Now, I know you have to borrow money to get a house, and you have to borrow money to get a car to go to work to pay for the car. Uh, and to pay for the housing, to pay for the groceries. But I can tell you this, do without now. Pay, you know, listen, pay now, you can play later. Play now, you're going to pay later. That's a famous Mac Brunson expression that he has said to his children 10 million times. So we're, we're done with that. What he's talking about here is a debt you can't pay off. This is a debt that you and I owe that we cannot pay off. He's talking about the fact we can't pay this thing, but we owe it. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. 
for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that uh, really in just a moment, but I want you to get this in your mind that he's talking to us about a debt uh, that we owe that we will never be able to pay back. And uh, by the way, it is a debt to our neighbors, not because our neighbors have loved us so well that we owe them back. No, it's because Christ has loved me so well. And Christ says, if you want to serve me, then show it by loving your neighbor. There's the verse right there. Wasn't that simple? Just as easy as it could be. It begins with a double negative. Nothing, not, is at the very beginning. It's literally may dine, may day. Same word, uh, two different tenses. Uh, it is there, and it means literally not, not, owe anything to anyone except to love one another. And it does that for emphasis. Paul is emphasizing this, and he's saying, listen, let me tell you something. If your life has been transformed by the grace of God, you will extend love to your neighbor. Number one. Boy, wasn't that a short point? Okay, thank the Lord, because this one won't be. Um, let's get to the second one, and the second one is this. A transformed love that I've experienced, that's what's happened to me. A transformed love fulfills the law of God. Now, he says that in verse 8, and he says it in verse 10. It's like he just bookends this other stuff right in between. You're fulfilling the law of God if you love people this way. Now, look at what he's going to do in verse 9. He is going to quote Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, and then he's going to come down and he's going to quote Leviticus 19, and he's going to quote Jesus because Jesus quoted Leviticus chapter 19. And uh, you have to see this. He says, you fulfill the law. Now, watch this. Put your finger right there in chapter 13. Go back to chapter 7 of Romans with me. Because Paul is going to tell you in Romans chapter 7, I can't feel the law. I can't fulfill the law. I can't do the law. But over here, he's going to come and tell me that love is the fulfillment of the law. In chapter 7, listen to what he says. I'm going to pick it up in verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Now, does anybody here want to get up and give a testimony, share a witness, confess? Is that not true in life? It's true with me. I'm sure it's true with you. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law. Confessing that the law is good. The law is good. Just doesn't have any strength. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Uh -huh. I got this old flesh nature. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present. I really want to do the will of God. Uh, but the doing of the good is not. But my flesh fights me all the time. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Now, this is Paul. This isn't uh, Hugh Hefner. This is Paul talking. 
But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. It is good. The law of God is good. It is right. I agree with that, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner in the law of sin, which is in my members. Thank you, Jesus, you put this in the book. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. On the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, do you know what he's saying in all of that? He's saying this, you're human. But he's telling you this, the law is good. The law is good. The law tells me what is sin. But it has no strength to keep me from breaking the law. It does not strengthen me or enable me um, to not break the law of God. And you say, well, then what are we to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. You're still there in chapter 7? Look at chapter 8. Therefore, because of all that, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to mark that. You need to underline that. You need to put a big old circle around it. You need to get some lipstick and just cover it so you can see it, so you can remember this. This is what you quote to the devil. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, it couldn't keep me. It could tell me, don't do this. Okay, well, tell me how not to do it. Give me the strength not to do it. Well, can't do that. I'm just telling you, this is what you don't do. And if you do it, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Well, I need some help. Well... For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the light. Listen, if y'all were Pentecostal, y'all be falling out in the floor right now. Man, this is a shouting verse right here. God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who did not walk according to the flesh, but accord, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Boy, thank the Lord these verses are in here. Thank the Lord he's given us that. Am I going to sin? Yes, but I'm saved I don't want to sin in my heart. The one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to sin against God. And yet in my flesh, I will do it. But I've been saved. And now God will give me strength not to do that. Now that's why he goes and he quotes. I'm back over to chapter 13 now. That's why in verse 9, he begins to quote this Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. Why? Because, now watch this, I love my neighbor. You shall like, I love my neighbor so much, I would never, ever think of violating his wife because of my love for him and my love for God. Thou shalt not murder. 
I love his life. I may not like the fact that he planted his blooming hedgerow on my property. I may not like that he doesn't cut a part of his yard. He just lets it grow up. I may not like this. I may not like that. But I love him enough. I'm not going to go and kill him. You see that love keeps, keeps the law. Love is fulfilling the law. What does he say next? He comes next and he says this. He says, you shall not steal. I love my neighbor more than I love stuff. I'm not going to go take his new riding lawnmower. I'm not going to go and take whatever it is he's got that I want. In fact, he comes now and he says, you shall not covet. I'm not even going to look at his stuff to be enticed by it. Why? Because I love my neighbor. Now, by the way, in the middle of this, I want to just stop and I want to tell you, love is not the warm fuzzies. That's all our generation equates love with is a heightened feeling of sexuality. If I get a thrill, a chill, a tingle, whatever, that must be love. Listen, that can be love with ice going down your back. Love is a commitment and a choice. When I stood at an altar, I never pledged to God or her family or everybody else that was there how I would ever feel. I did pledge what I would do. In sickness and in health, to love and to charity, you know, for poverty and poorness and Buying shoes, not buying shoes, all of that you committed to. It is a choice I make. Um, it's not something that I feel. Because a lot of times I don't feel love even for myself. So he comes and he says, listen, this is, this is what you're doing. If there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying. Now Jesus quoted this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer comes to him and he says, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And um, Jesus said, listen, love the Lord your God. And then the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said on this, all of the prophet and the law, hang, the whole of the Old Testament law hangs on that. If I love God and I love my neighbor, I will fulfill the law of God. That's what he shows you right there in the midst of, of quoting to you the Old Testament law is that if I love my neighbor, I will not do this. Now, let me give you the third thing. And the third thing is this. The third thing is that transformed lives live lovingly. You see what he says in verse 10? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Doesn't do any wrong. And we start this out, and let me tell you something. Love here in verse 10, if you were to look at it in the Greek, it is in the emphatic position. It is at the beginning of the sentence, just as it is here, but it has an article with it. With it, And so what it says literally is, the love, the love does no wrong to a neighbor. He, if Paul were preaching this, let me tell you what verse 10 is. Verse 10 is Paul hollering at the congregation. 
It's him stomping his foot. It's him beating the pulpit. It's him pointing his finger. This is an emphatic point right here that he is making. He says, I want you to understand love does no wrong to a neighbor. This is how I demonstrate my love for Jesus Christ, that I will not do wrong to someone else. Now, let me show you this. I, I didn't give it to you back up in verse 8 because I want to come to it now. Alas, 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 is the word there. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one alas, alas, another, another. There's several words in the Greek language that speak of another. Um, one of another kind, um, one of a different kind. There are different words for that. Um, this word right here is that I can love those of a different kind. They don't have to look like me, smell like me, go to the same university that I went to, you know, have degrees like I do, run in my circle. What he's saying is this, is that as Christians, the world should understand we have an identifying mark, and that identifying mark is love. By the way, when you look at all of this, uh, if you look at this in the commentaries, they begin to ask the question, what was going on in the city of Rome for Paul to write this? Well, not in the city, in the churches in Rome. Now, there were multiple churches scattered across Rome. He, they want to know what was happening in the churches at Rome for Paul to write so uh, stringent a statement here about loving one another, loving those who are not like you. Can I love somebody who is black? Can I love somebody who is from the north? That's the, that's the tough one right there. Can I, love some, can I love somebody who is a foreigner from a different country? Can I love somebody who is not in my socioeconomic level? Can I love someone without an education? Can I love someone who is just a street urchin? You see what he's saying? He's saying, sure you can. Sure you can. In fact, he says, you've been transformed by the grace of God, and that enables you to love others. Now, a lot of you here feel like, Pastor, we just had Thanksgiving. I've tried so hard to love my brother-in-law. <laughs> I've tried so hard through the years to get along with this family member, that family member. We see him once or twice a year. I've tried so hard. I'm just, I, I give up. I'm done with it. I'm, I'm finished. I just don't even bother with him. I just don't even say, just speak. Hello, go on, never. I, the same thing with somebody at work, same thing with somebody at school, same thing with somebody in the neighborhood, people in your life. We just get to the point we feel like I've done it and I've done it and I've done it and I just can't do any more. Well, you're right, you can't. Now, I'm gonna close. Go ahead and close your Bibles because I'm gonna close with two, two illustrations that I hope are gonna take you to an understanding of this. 1967, I was 10 years of age. I remember my daddy every night would watch Huntley and Brinkley. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I remember seeing, you know, the hippies, just blurbs of seeing that on the nightly news. Black and white, by the way. TV was this big, screen was this big. Um, it, you would see bits of it. 
And I, I just remember some of that. But in 1967, they all decided as a prelude to Woodstock, about two years before Woodstock, they decided they were going to have the Summer of Love in San Francisco. Um, Scott McKenzie, is that right? Scott McKenzie, you ever wondered about the little song he wrote? If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to put some flowers in your hair. Wouldn't that look cute on me? Huh? See, that, it, was, it was about the summer of love in San Francisco. And all of these people went out there. They went across the country. They got a, I think Jefferson Airplane was there. And the mamas and the papas were there. I believe they were there. Janice Joplin was there. Oh, they had a host of them out there. And uh, they were all out there. Free love. They call it free love. Uh, we call it immorality. Just uh, gross immorality drugs, and music. That was the summer of love. It was going to change the world. The whole world would come together. I, I read an interesting article on that this week. Steve Martin was there. Um, uh, David Harrison of the Beatles came through. Uh, David Harrison came through it, went, came out and said, you know, man, that's nothing but a bunch of pipply-faced kids on drugs. That's all that is. Steve Martin said, I left there and I decided to cut my hair and change my clothes because I knew the world was going to change. It was not going to do usher in what they thought it was going to usher in, but what it ushered in for Steve Martin was a whole career in, in comedy, a very lucrative career in, in, in comedy. So a lot of people went there. Now, what they did was this. They got out there and they decided, well, we ought to do something for people. So they went and they got canned vegetables, canned food, and they handed out food, you know, as much as they could until they gave out. And then they went back to the immorality, their drugs, and their music. That's all it was. Nothing changed. The world didn't change. Nothing changed out of that. Nothing was different after that. Um, it made no lasting impression. All, all that is, you don't, you probably, some of you guys probably remember, it's just a footnote in a book about 1967. You say, well, why didn't that work? Why didn't, why didn't the flower child and the hippie generate all that? Why didn't it work? It had no foundation. It had no foundation, folks. It had no source. That's why you're going to come together tonight and we'll vote on a budget that will give somewhere between 17% and 20% to missions to take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. This will be the second year we will have put that much aside to do that out of a $5.9 million budget. Let me, let me tell you something. Do you, under, do you understand? We have a foundation. You get to come and vote on something that has a source and a foundation. And we've been doing it as long as this church has been here for 50 plus years. And if the Lord tarries for another 50 years, this church will live 50 more years into the future with a foundation and the foundation is Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm not through. You say, well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to love people that way. I want to love people that way. I just run out. No, you, you, you don't run out. You're trying to work it up. And it's not for you to work up. My son, who is one of the pastors at, they'll run 20,000 people this weekend uh, at the church. 
called me this week and he said, Daddy, I've just got to tell you a sad story. He said about six months ago, there was an elderly gentleman uh, whose son is in the church. And uh, I'm not going to use any names, but he, he said he was in the church and uh, the son is in the church. And he said uh, the elderly gentleman was on a telephone call. Some people called and he gave out some information and he did not know that he should not have given them that information. They stole his identity and wiped his savings out. And he said uh, he had $11,048 in the bank. He said they took his $11,000 and left him forty-eight. And said that the uh, elderly gentleman was so embarrassed and so hurt and so ashamed and so devastated by that, he took his life. And he said, Daddy, listen, I've talked to his son. He's a multimillionaire. His son had no idea, did not know, until he took his life. He said, Daddy, he could put $11,000 back in his bank. He could put $111,000. He could put a million and $11,000. All of the franchises that he has, all of the businesses that he owns, all of the stuff that uh, he's involved with, he's made money hand over fist. He could have done that. But the father never went to the son. Now, here's the question. Son, daughter. Are you going to the Father? Because the Father has unlimited resource of love to give you so that you can fulfill the law of God. Let's stand and pray about it. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.